Ramble. Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. Here we go again. One time for your mind, one time. Um, God, this is just outstanding where I talk at length about bullshit and you listen or don't. But at this point, you've already looked through your phone. You've had that weird lag on your iPhone for when you actually push the podcast and then you're like worried because like, you know, the internet is taking an extra three and a half seconds that it shouldn't. Because you want that immediate, like, as soon as you hit that button, you want to hear my voice. You want to hear that ramble. You know, that's what you want to hear. But then you get worried because you're like, is my phone going to connect? What's going to go on? Is it going to say that this episode is not currently available because the fucking Wi-Fi or the 4G that I pay so much for is, like, not available in this, like, open field with no uh, sort of obstacles or thing, interference in the way. And it should just be a perfect signal from the satellite in the sky to my phone. I mean, what the shit? But here I am. You've done the work, you took the leap, you pushed the button, and here I am to reward your ears with this just onslaught of ridiculousness. Guys, it's the holidays, Christmas is next week, I'm about to say the the most trite, corny sentence that everyone says all the time right now by saying, where has the time gone? <laughs> it's Christmas already. I hate that. Guys, can you believe? It's... It's like eight days till Christmas. <laughs> uh, what has, where has the year gone? <laughs> it's gone the same fucking place that every year all time goes all the time. That's where it goes. It's not speeding up. Maybe you're getting older. I'm getting older so I don't remember it as well. Because when you're young and you're powerless, and like you have to depend on people for rides and like for sheer entertainment factor. Yeah, then, then shit is slow. But, yeah, everything speeds up, and it doesn't speed up until, you know, just a jet force ride into into oblivion to the final chapter of your life. But I'm 32, and I'm, uh, I'm going to be a father. And so now I've got to be on my game. Got to get it ready. You know, these are the pivotal moments. This is, this is what makes your child a douche or amazing. If you can like just hang around and be present and like <laughs> and like discipline them in appropriate ways, not like our dads did it. Well, not my dad, I never met him, but like, you know, the dad that we grew up with seen in the seventies and eighties who was like, Stop being an idiot. Come here, Randy, you dummy. Stop it. God. You know what? Just fucking figure it out. Go play Connect Four with your mother. I'm gonna go have a drink. That's, you know, I mean, that's the temptation to be a passive aggressive bastard whose, you know, self-interest completely blinds them to the fact that there's like another, you know, satient human being here who is just a open vessel for all sorts of influence, positive or negative. And can you get over yourself for like that brief window of adolescence to sort of code this kid the right way? Your kid is a fucking PC, you know, it's it's a it's an open source PC 
with no coding. You know what I mean? And are you going to give your kid Windows 98? Are you going to fucking say, we're selling the PC and we're buying him a Mac because it's just a better overall machine? <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to have your kid walking around with Windows 98 operating system? That sucks. Because that kid, I and mean, we all know that kid. And, um, you know, their parents are to blame. They didn't equip them with all the tools, the things that they needed to get by. So that's my job. And I'm not convinced I'll be great at it. But c'est la vie. There's no, uh, there, there's no vetting process to become a parent. And the act of creating a child is super fun. And so there's just really no checks and balances here. But I don't know. Everyone tells me I'll be okay at it. So I guess for today I'm going to believe everyone else's view of me and not myself. Because as we all know, eh, the deep recesses of our mind are no place to build a, a you know, positive self-image. We know that, right? Because broken can't fix broken. And as I know, my mind is not, it's not in perfect working order. and never has been, never will be. Never will be. But yes, the holidays. Try not to stress out so much, guys. Yes, it's December 25th. And if you're religious, yes, it's meaningful. But for the most part, it's just... What is it? When's Christmas? Tuesday? It's just Tuesday. That's all it is. A good buddy of mine, Tony, put me up on this guy named Anthony DeMello, who's kind of like... He's a Catholic priest, but... I don't know, he's Indian, and so it seemed as though he just, like, knew more than anyone else, and, or he was, he's passed away, but it seemed like he had something in addition to just sort of, like, standard religion, like, he was inspired on a spiritual level that was beyond what most people had, but he tells this great, fun story about, there's a, uh, there's a Russian farmer, and they're drawing the borders between Ukraine and Russia, and his farm is right on the border between Ukraine and Russia. So the people, the government of Russia, comes to him and says, listen, we're drawing the border, and it goes right through the middle of your farm. Would you like to be a resident of Ukraine or a citizen of Russia? You can decide. And the farmer thinks and goes, nah, that's easy. I want to be a citizen of Ukraine. And they say, what do you mean? You're going to give up your citizenship to Mother Russia, the homeland? And he goes, I know, but I just can't take another Russian winner. Boom. Yep. Mind blown? Right. What I'm talking about are these imaginary lines. It's a lot to think about. But there's no borders. And there's no days. And there's no such thing as holiday. You know what I'm saying? Just a day at a time. Because uh, we all love finish lines, and we all love, uh, you know, turning points, pivot moments, you know? I mean, God, New Year's is coming up, and that's just going to be like, just prepare yourself for the onslaught of social media resolutions. Uh, make 2019 your year. It's, shit's going to be different. I know I was a loser last year, but it doesn't matter. It's a whole new life for me now because the date has changed. Because the numbers are different when I sign a check. Or, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to start anew. Couldn't do it in 2018. Wasn't ready. 2019, 
I don't know why, but it seems like everything's going to go my way. Yeah, maybe. Look, I'm not against people taking like a, a active role in changing something up. And I think it's possible and wonderful. But do it on a fucking Tuesday in May. You know, do it at four o'clock when you've been a shithead all day to your family and your coworkers and you're in a bad mood from all the bad food you ate. And the bad living you've been doing because you've been jerking off too much and, you know, drinking too, too many whiskeys at night when you get home. And no, I don't have a problem. I wake up for work in the morning. I'm a little foggy, but I get up. I'm not late. Shut up. Don't don't bother me. Yeah, I bet. I bet it's working just fine for you, you know, but switch it up at four o'clock. On a, on a Monday when you've not been the best person all day. And instead of just saying, ah, it's a shit day. Today's an L. I'm going to take the L and I'll wake up tomorrow and do better. No, do better and make, you know, hours 5 to 11 great. And do something nice for someone. And work harder. Put something into this world. God damn it. <laughs> I'm all fired up. I'm probably going to get more on New Year's resolutions. Like more... Busy with it uh, next week. I'll talk about it more. So let's just not. The, today's episode, wow, Gary Vaynerchuk. This guy, he's unbelievable. I feel so lucky that he agreed to do this show. He's um, he's uh, he's that dude. He's a formidable entrepreneur, investor. He's a media personality. He is a uh, shoe designer. He's got his own shoe for K-Swiss, which let me tell you, is an incredible shoe. It's very good looking. It's the first entrepreneur sneaker and it's pretty dope. And it's like K-Swiss, which is kind of like that that that, you know, old school hip hop dopeness. And um there's a link in the bio to go buy the shoes to follow Gary. Um but I feel lucky to call him a friend and I knew that I had a, a little ace in my pocket which you'll hear around uh, minute 34 that got him pretty pretty excited. So um, anyway, he has so much to share. He's so smart and knowledgeable, and I felt really lucky to be able to sit with him for an hour. So please enjoy Gary. Twelve of the fifteen people that were blowing up in that very early, like even before you blew up, like like that wow. first five minute moment. Mm. We were gonna do a bunch of different things. We eventually decided to do. I I what ended up. I'll never forget it. I said. I said to Jerome, I'm like, Jerome, do you want to be a businessman or do you want to be famous? And he goes, I want to be a businessman. I'm like, and I, for like, the best thing I ever did, Josh, is I was like, dude, you're gonna get too famous. Hmm. I go, you're gonna get so famous that you're not gonna want to go to a meeting with Coca-Cola where they're like, I don't know, you know? Like fame was gonna get in the way of his entrepreneurship, under- yeah. the motivation. That's exactly right. I was right. like, I don't think you understand what's gonna happen. There's a meeting, which I wish I was doing what I do with D-Rock now. Yeah. There's a meeting where I have Rudy, Nicholas, Brittany, Batch, all of them in a room in my old two offices ago, and I'm like, all of you are gonna be so much more famous than you think. And they're like, what? Nah, this is fun. Like, and, they didn't have the vision yet. But no, you because did. They, didn't, they were kids. and they, like, Rudy was fucking a babysitter for $12 an hour. Yeah, of course. Like in Jersey. In Jersey. Wow. So, <laughs> so I knew that we were gonna be able to get good dollars because I'd already lived through it. Back to the cha-ching, we were getting bigger dollars than everybody else because like, I knew how to sell it. Mm. Uh, and um, it was great. It was great. But ultimately, I didn't, you know, he owned 50% of the company. 
because we went 50-50 and he, he wasn't gonna contribute anymore, he was going on to doing his bigger things or other things that he wanted to do and obviously he's gone into a lot of different places. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we, so, ha we had to fold it into Vayner. So originally before sort of 2013 and the boom of Vine, were you leveraging social media advertising for years up to that? Mm -hmm. or, and, but how, how was it scaled? Like, was it early days still? Um, it was, uh, so I wrote a book in 2009 called Crush It, which if you read it right now, you would be like, holy crap. Even I am like, and you, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, I really was right. Like Nostradamus, it like was real good the like oracle that. of it's social like, media. It's like basically like influencer marketing and social media are gonna be really big. Wow. So yes, I was, I was like YouTube 2006 and Twitter 2007, I lived through and did well on as a wine personality. So, and then we started VaynerMedia, which was a social media agency in 2009. But Vine, no question, was the rebirth of influencer marketing in a way that even MySpace, YouTube, and, and um, Twitter were not. Hmm. And how would you... Um, present it to a Fortune 500 company, to Coca-Cola, because all this hey, media... Hey, Coke, you can pay Kevin Hart $4 million to do a campaign, or there's this kid named King Batch who you could pay 20000 for, and if you care about 14 to 17, I'm not so sold which one's not more valuable. That was it. That was it. Just and it was, clear. And by the way, it was right. I mean, Sour Patch Kids exploded I remember on that. the back of all the stuff we did with them, with Logan Paul and... Rudy and Jerome and everybody, all everybody was in play for Sour Patch Kids, and it was already doing well. But it completely, I mean, I mean, you you know, it's fun to talk to you about it because you're really interesting to talk about it because you actually had notoriety and fame prior to it. Sure, but you were unbelievably early in the scheme of people who've ever tasted any kind of level of success, and so you could under you understood how. I mean, I'm I I just remember the era where and what you were doing like. You felt it, like when you walked around life, right? I remember in 2013 getting into it unintentionally, mm -hmm. but then it had this groundswell, and I had a buddy who worked at the audience, remember mm -hmm. that company? Of course. And he was, he's a good friend, and he said, I don't know what this is, Josh, but I can tell you, affecting these many people and having all the power in your hands is good, so do this. It was exa it's exactly right, and I'm sure, and for anybody who's listening, like I'm sure very quickly once you started amassing all that momentum, you went to 7-Eleven or went out and you all of a sudden 13 year olds were looking at you in a different way. Well it was funny because I remember going to my agents and managers who for better or for worse, the traditional theatrical agencies of it all tend to be late to the game when it comes Super to late. emerging they see, media. They don't see the economics, right? because the economics trail the attention. Right, and they're, you know, they're trying to juice the, the money that they know works. 100%. And, and so I remember this was like 2013 seeing Sour Patch Kids or seeing Metro PCS. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, there's money here. And I'm not making any of it. <laughs> yes. And I remember saying it to my agents and whatnot and them saying, it's unproven. We're not sure. And for better or for worse, it just seemed yeah. to be somewhat of the attitude. And then 2014 came around and McDonald's hit me up and I'm like, oh, I think they've come around. Yeah, 100%. I, right. The people are 100%. here. So you, when did you move to the States? In 19, August 1978, so it's actually 40 years. Or wow. It was August, the trip began, so December. So 40 years ago, when I was you know, on the, two on the way of becoming three, three, I was three when we landed here, 
so I don't remember Belarus or the former Soviet Union, but I grew up in a Russian household, you know, just because my my parent, you know, it took us a good five to seven years to become Americanized. Of course. You know, uh, we moved to Queens first, then Edison, New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I grew up. Yeah, well, that that was sort of like the, one of the major destination points for Russians immigrating to the U.S. Russian Jewish? Yes, and really it was Brighton Beach. Like right. to this day, like if anybody lives in New York or is in Brooklyn, like that's where they really went. There wasn't actually, you know what's interesting? Edison, New Jersey, Metuchen, New Jersey is really where all the Indian immigrants came in 86, 87, 88. There wasn't that many Russian, Jersey wasn't the hotbed. Right. It was really Queens and Brooklyn. Uh, so I was Americanized very quickly. There was no Russian being spoken outside my house. Um, and, and I was kind of like the immigrant and it was also the Cold War. So it was, you know, it's kind of like it was, a lot of homies that are Muslim and things of that nature. Good and, to adapt quickly. Yeah, I was like, you know, I, I, I was young and it wasn't this hot. It was the tail end of the Cold World War, but like, it was definitely a, a very, it was, it was a very amazing childhood because I grew up in the 80s you know, 82 to 90s when I was in Edison, then we moved to 100 in New Jersey. Like, so in 82, for all the kids listening, uh, and for all the grownups who remember this, in 1982, 84, 86, 87, you just went outside. Right, you lived. Like my childhood was, I was eight. I'd get up in the morning in the summer, we're just coming off the summer now and recording this, I don't know when you're gonna post it. And like nine o'clock came and like I went outside and did not come home. See you for dinner. See you for lunch, to be fair, <laughs> for 30 minutes or 16 because I couldn't wait to get back outside. But like literally like it blows my mind. We like roamed the streets for real with no parent supervision for you know seven, eight hours a day. Yeah, tearing it up. Seven, eight, nine. Lemonade stands, baseball cards, stickball, stickball, tennis, football, like flourishing, flourishing, thriving. Some thriving. might say the, the, the thing I wish more kids could taste today because I think they'd be dramatically more prepared for the actual game of life. Well, it's funny too because you know we live in this. I, I got I have a kid on the way in January, so congrats. I'm man. about to parent hard, adulting in a big way, and it's interesting, right? Because. I hear so many parents talk about that, that I wish for my kids that they could have some semblance of what my childhood was and the freedom and sort of like the lack of fear that comes with this day and age with all these dangers and fears. And yet, statistically, the world's safer than ever. Oh, right. To your point, and like you're, you're going to have to go through this, like you're preaching. Like I have enormous passion to put pressure on the current state of parenting because I do not believe a lot of good is being done. Um, I, I couldn't promote more sending your kids outside, you know, uh, because I just couldn't agree with you more. Like, it's dramatically safer. Right. It's, it's not even close. <laughs> yes. It's not even, you know how hard it is to kidnap now in a world of cell phones? Yeah, find like, a friend. Kid, kid, forget about that. Just like, if you try to grab a kid, somebody's gonna take a photo. Like, kidnappers like, fuck. You know, know, can't get away with this anymore. Yeah, it's really bummed out the <laughs> kidnapper organizations. Your kid is probably more dangerous living on the computer in your den. 100%. Falling into a kidnapping through a DM than they are to go outside and get dragged into a car. Or like the mental warfare that's coming from social media and then being overly exposed perhaps a little couldn't, too soon. Couldn't agree with that more except the caveat is if you actually work on your kid's self-esteem, they don't fall prey to that. Right. Now, 
I have my best friend is Leonia Leonid, and he's from um, Moldova, and his family immigrated here in the late '80s. Yes, and so like there were these for you know Russian Jewish immigrants. There were sort of these waves of you know yes. immigration, and he late came, '70s he came in, and then there was the '90 '91 one. Yeah, Gorbachev. Mm -hmm. Like, so did your parents experience anti-Semitism in the Soviet Union? To a certain extent? A, a ton, and as, as we're going through a lot of cultural things now, and also I skew, you know, I went to a 90% African-American college, um, and most of my best friends were minorities my Which whole college? life. Mount Ida College in Newton, Mass. Okay. Terrible school. <laughs> I was an atrocious student, um, academically. Super great, because I made such great friends, but like, you know, I posted a second grade photo the other day and like, I don't even realize how blessed I was with the diversity that I grew up with my whole life outside of my high school years when we moved to Farmville uh, and in Jersey, which was also great, great people, but just like not the level of diversity. Anyway, nonetheless, both my grandfathers spent substantial time in Soviet jails for being Jewish. Wow. Uh, you know, America's got a ton of shortcomings when it comes to racial and, and, and female and other things of that nature, but like what the Soviet Union had was it had all those shortcomings for being Jewish, but then absolute power at the top. Right. So they didn't have to hide or disguise it, they just put you in jail. It was blatant. Yeah, it was just like, so you know, my one grandfather spent a decade in jail. And some of these guys would not only fight for the Russian army, but then be jailed because they were Jewish. Like there was this my weird dad, dichotomy. My dad would always like make jokes to like my African-American friends of like, you think it's tough being black? I'd be like, oh dad, come on, you can't say, but he's like, dude, as I got older, I was like, geez, man, I, I, you know, I get it. Like, There's it's, a shared it's, struggle. Oh, it's why any Eastern European Jews in America that suppress others, I want to punch in the face. Of course. Occasionally I stumble on them in business or not, or distant family relatives, and I like, I used to cry. I remember this vivid moment, I've never told this story, Direct, of like a family gathering with distant relatives and people were being, you know, prejudiced, and I like cried out of the hypocrisy. I'm like, you pieces of crap. You spent your whole life telling me how bad it was. How now that you've made it a little bit in America, you're doing it to others. You suck. You're the worst. Right. I believe that. And by the way, if we're right on the other side of it, right? Because I always say that, like in this current day and age, where African American people or certain people are fearing, feeling marginalized or attacked in some way, it's like don't think we're safe. Because like if if they're attacked, we're next. Because there's oh. no special treatment. <sighs> It's so complicated. To me, I take it very macro judge. To me, it's like how anybody can live life with the idea that marginalizing somebody based on anything other than who they are as a human being after you fully vetted them is just the most atrocious behavior and historically has never won. Right. And the worst part is it's just very bad business. And to me, like, honestly, like, it, you could look at it, I'll be honest with you, I'm not so sold that it's very bad business. I, I, look what's going on right now as we're recording this with Nike. There's people that are gonna go buy 800 pairs, right. and there's people that are, you know, are burning their Nikes. Like, I have a K-Swiss sneaker deal, and I'm wearing Nikes today for a reason, right. you know? Um, so, you know, I don't know if it's bad for business. I think you can get away with it in the short term. Long term, I do. I just think it's, who... Here's my big pitch to people. Like I see friends teetering, friends. I see acquaintances, subtle friends, acquaintances, business associates teetering into places they shouldn't 
And I always tell them, I'm like, you do know that you're gonna have to tell your granddaughter why you tweeted this. Right. The thing that I'm trying to get people to understand is like, there is no ROI for hating others for no reason and don't hide under flags or America or other shit. Cause I'll show you pictures that will make you vomit on when we put Japanese Americans into concentration camps or when the KKK was rolling around of make America great or for America. Like when people hide behind things to suppress negativity and evil and anger and and honestly I feel both for, I feel bad for everybody. I feel unbelievably bad for anyone who feels suppressed. I feel bad for people that are suppressing people. It means that they're awfully bad inside. They're rotten. They're sad inside. Yeah, I mean. They really do. I have empathy. If you're a hate monger, you're broken internally. Your programming is completely fucking defective. And also, there's a good chance that you just live in a specific place where you can feel entitled to your viewpoints because you have no outside influences. Yeah, or, or listen, they have, like, listen, the cliche thing to that is like you live in a very tough, like the cliche thing is like you live in the middle of the South and you got, but the fact of the matter is there's plenty of media and content left and right that can give you other perspectives. Right. You choose. And by the way, same thing happens on, listen, we, we've gone to a very, you know, obviously the, the era we're in now, a lot of things get political. I would argue that the overparenting, the overprotection is a overacceleration to liberal and social points of views. Like to me, the eighth place trophies and don't let your kid outside gets into the, the weakness of the progressively social that like, you know, like, so look, everything's best when it's balanced. Mm. Uh, but yeah, man, the Soviet Union had its enormous shortcomings when it came to religious persecution and that doesn't even get into sexual orientation and other things where it was like. And still bad to this day. I mean, Putin's point of views on these things are just completely unacceptable. And yet, if you interviewed many, like I obviously I have a lot of Russian American friends whose parents are Russian who it's so embedded in them, this idea of leadership and what that looks like and the Russian way and the oligarchy to a certain extent, that they will at times, and these are progressive, smart, liberal people that go, it's good, he's good, you know, he's running shit. Like, it's the, by the way, it's no different, you know, fine, right. fine. It's no different than somebody who feels like, you know, sup- you know what, what, I mean, there's plenty of people who think the GOP and the Republican Party under Trump's reign is, is doing the right thing. And by, by the way, I'm not so overly like, passionate that I get to choose, me as a human, of what's right or wrong. I just really ask everybody one simple question. When you're 84, I have a funny feeling you're not gonna give a shit about Obama, Trump, Putin, or anything. You are gonna care though about your little you know, granddaughter visiting you at your retirement home. And I think it's a really bad idea to give her ammo because I have a funny feeling a lot of people listening right now in their 20s, 30s, and 40s wouldn't be visiting their grandpa and grandma if their tweets from the 60s existed. Right. But I, Sweet little grandma today who you love and you wanna visit if you could dig up her 1964 points of view of suppressing people wouldn't be so sweet. Right. And there's a lot of people that are going to have to answer to their family members when they're 60, 70, 80, and 90 that aren't going to like the ramifications. Because let me tell you how humans work. Your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are not going to like your points of view when you're mean to other people. Right. But do you think, and this is something that I wonder if you're, you're, 
you know, instituting this with your kids, because this is something that I'll imagine I'll have to do with mine, because the internet is written in pen more so than ever, mm -hmm. like if any of us were held to task for the dumb shit we did in our late teens or early 20s, and that was sort of the, the, the overall sort of judgment on our lives, none of us would, would be able to sort of thrive. Well, but like you're, you're kids- being, You're being very thoughtful here. I think you, I want to stay on this subject for one minute. I'm unbelievably optimistic of a transparent world. I think we're gonna eat a lot of crow right now because we have to face a lot of our collective shortcomings. I think it's gonna lead to less hypocrisy and more empathy, compassion, and sympathy. I think if you play this game out for 100 years, it gets really good because everybody starts realizing everybody sucks at something, everybody's got strengths and weaknesses, and we've been able to hide in the shadows of the old system, and I think we're going through a painful part now where people are like, ooh, there's a lot. But I think over time, our kids' kids are gonna live in a world of much more transparency, which is gonna lead to totally different behavior, and we're not gonna judge alcoholism or, or, or mental illness or infidelity the way we do today. But to that same point, I worry about, or I imagine that a fear would be that if you have a 13-year-old kid who writes a knucklehead thing on Twitter, which is possible. I disagree. Let me explain it, how I, I'll talk I just wonder I'll how explain. to, let's, let's how to make sure it doesn't haunt, haunt them. Let, I'll save you time. It's happening now. You've got the relief pitcher for the Brewers. You've got the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. You've got all these people getting unearthed their tweets from five, six, seven, eight years ago when they were in the, you know, you and I have the luxury of being, you know, in a position where we can empathize or understand or grew up with a lot of 14, 15, we're still not old enough that we don't remember 14, 15, 16, 17 year old knucklehead dudes, including ourselves. I've been fascinated by culture's ability to let the 14, 15, 16, 17 even year old tweets go by the waysides. Not the 38 year old, but if you look at the 13, 14, 15, when, when these athletes get drafted and they recall things, they're getting passes. A director who's 54 that said something stupid when he was 41 is not. Right. But, but the 12 to 18 year old, there is a collective empathy in society that is giving some level of a pass. Because I'm seeing friends of mine now who have kids that are in like, you know, uh, playing football, baseball at 13, hoping to eventually get scouted in a couple years and get into college. And maybe they wrote a misguided tweet because, you know, young kids are susceptible. Let, let me save you a lot of time. And it could hurt their ride. There's no coach at Michigan. Or Who's Penn. gonna let that? No, it's not happening. You don't think so? No, I know it. I know it because I'm really in it. I have Vayner Sports. My brother and I have, right? You know, uh, a sports eight. Like, not that. If your kid can run a four three forty, they're gonna say, "Yeah, it was a stupid tweet. Delete a kid." They've got the yeah, golden yeah, ticket. There's, yeah. So there's still some forgiveness in this. Even the pros. Again, Josh Allen, Haber, the closer for the Brewers. These tweets are unearthing. They're not pretty. Right. And they're getting away with it because there is a sense of like, look. It's a learning You're moment. You're 15. Right. There is a, this is, actually, this is feeding into my thesis. This is black and white examples. People that are under 18 with these tweets are getting away with it. People over 25 are not. Right. There's a level of like, hey, you're a grown up now. Yeah, get it but together. But I do, I think it's, listen, I think there's a collective thing in our society, even like, I mean, look, I don't, I'm not educated on the law, but enough to like, even when you commit murder when you're before 18, like there's, right? Like you can get yeah, away with a lot. tried as a juvenile right. in some cases. So that's right. So, you know, I think that there's the errant tweet of 14, even racial, even sexual, even like those kind of things is, there is a collective pass that, that is playing out. Right. I'm, so I, I'm, let's use a focus group of one, like putting your mouth 
you know, money where your mouth is, there is never gonna be a conversation between me and my kids of like, watch what you tweet, you really? might not get into college. They'll be, because I think that's the outcome, not the seed. Hmm. Telling your kid not to tweet dumb shit is the second part. The first part is don't, don't say dumb, dumb shit. shit. <laughs> right. Like, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, to me, there's a big difference between using the N-word and being cocky or saying something stupid. Like, there's, there's things. Like, I, to me, if oh, you disrespect please. a woman, I will punch you in the... F- forget about Twitter. I will yeah. break your face. Yeah, get it together. Correct. I, I guess my only... My, my last thing would be I would hope to... Um, shelter in the world in which we live in where there's this mass condemnation, even if you will get an eventual pass, even if they say, go away for a year, fuck off, you said the wrong thing, we'll let you back, but like call us in 18 months. There's nobody who's been under 18 when they, you can't give me the- Under 18 maybe, yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, I mean, we're so damn reactionary in this world and social media- Yeah, but I think think the other thing is, it depends on what rules you play in. You're super perfect for me for this conversation. Sure. Because you had mainstream fame as a youngster, you then won the Vine game, you're doing your thing. This is gonna make sense. It depends what rules you play with. If, you pl- if you're Billy Bush and you play by the old rules, you're told to go away. Right. I mean, he got the worst fucking Correct. deal out of the whole That's thing. That's why I'm using that example. Right. If you're somebody who's a YouTube star or Vine star or social media star, you're not playing by the rules because nobody controls. The, the only reason Billy Bush loses is because an NBC executive gets to say so. But how come no one else has given him because they're all following suit to the old guard? Like what? It has a lot to do with him. Right. I don't know. You know, I, I've, I've met with him once, so, but, and I've helped. I did some sort of thing for Samsung for him. Like, I don't know Billy super well. Sure. My, my belief, and this is completely guessing, is it's because Billy's playing by the old rules. Because mm. Billy wants to be on HBO or ABC sure. or CBS. If Billy wanted to start a podcast direct to consumer by himself, there's nobody stopping Billy. Tomorrow. Correct. You'd advertise on it. Correct. <laughs> right. Got it? Yeah. So, but this is a very fun point of this conversation. No, it's really, it really makes a lot of sense. It, you know, one of the reasons I live life so easily is I will never let an institution get to say so. That's, that's just not interesting to me. I don't want anybody to have leverage. And do you think that's part of your ethos because you started in a family business where you kind Probably. of never had a, yeah. a boss and, in and quotes? Even, that's a really good point. And, and I was a terrible student, so fuck you, school. Sure. I was an entrepreneur kid making thousands of dollars a weekend when I was 12 before I even knew about my family business. So I was already like independent as a kid. Then a family business where even from day one, I barely, like I respect my dad to the, to the death, but like had my own will. Yeah, I mean, I've always been outside the vortex. Right. Always. And, and people like that to mainstream are dangerous. I mean. Of course. And, and I feel how suits are threatened by outside thinkers But the like difference that. is I used to be an anomaly and now I'm the preview. Right. And who's come after you? Is it like a Casey Neistat? Everybody. The whole, any single person that has a million followers on Instagram or has a top 500 podcast or has a vlog that's doing well, they've all come after me because, you know, I, I did it early. Right. I don't want to say first, Dane Cook, Tila Tequila, some of the MySpace people felt the effects of what I played with, but like, you know, I'm super excited about my narrative as a 90-year-old. Like, in the same way that you look back at people that did things first, like, 
you know, when people, di- you know, I don't even talk about the details of like, and I need to do a better job because I want to, I want it for my own selfish wants and needs. Like, I really did a lot of stuff early, early. Did you feel immense pressure having immigrant parents to deliver on a, on a big scale, like no. the sacrifices no. they made? No. No? No, because I never really took their feelings into account. Why do you think that is? Because they did a great job. Really? Mm-hmm. So they didn't put any of that on you? Nope. Of their experience? They really didn't. And that's probably really healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, one of the great things that allows me to walk around with bravado and confidence is that I think it's an indication on my parents, not me. Oh, for sure. Like, I I'm almost think that I exaggerate my bravado because I think it's a great cosign to my parents, not a feeder of my own ego. I'm a byproduct of, of America and its opportunity, the diversity of Edison, New Jersey, and the best fucking parenting that I've seen. But was bravado in your house rewarded at a young age? Like the hustle, that spirit, that energy, the self-made? No, but I do, but to your point, and you're asking a good question, it was the only place that, the only place where I was getting positive reinforcement was business. Right. I was getting no reinforcement at school. Uh, I, I, Sport, by third grade, I already started becoming too small to like get, I was getting a ton of reinforcement at sports, but by fourth, fifth grade I was done. I made a crucial mistake in North Edison baseball. I, I was drafted by the 13, 14, and 15 year old league as a 10 year old, 10 of them got drafted each year. I was small as a 10 year old. When I, got, when I skipped the minors and went to the majors from the peewee, I mean, I was there with 14, 15, 16 year olds and I was a 10 year old the size of a six year old. It was like, it ruined me. So sports was gone. So business was the place of positive reinforcement. And the bravado is more of a competitive spirit and just a personality trait. And I don't even think it's bravado. You know, honestly, I used to call it ego. Then I started calling it bravado. Truth be told, I'm becoming even more happy with it. It's just confidence. I just have a lot of confidence because I don't go out of my arena. Right. If you said, hey, Gary, I need you to act with me on a sitcom, I wouldn't have confidence. Not even a cameo? Five lines right? Oh, I'd crush it. You'd kill that. I think I'd be great at acting, actually. <laughs> that being said, that being said, I wouldn't have the same level of confidence of like, hey, let's start a mug. Co-. Like, anything to do with business or the human interaction, I just default to it's going to be great because I have great intent for the customer, meaning the other human. That's why I'm a good guest on pod. Like, I'm so passionate to bring value to A, your audience, B, you. Then I'll worry about, and when I listen, when I, I don't listen that much content, but like what I see in the world in keynotes, when people talk, it's a press release, it's, it's a sales pitch for them. Sure. The reason I have a big speaking career, the reason my books have done well, the reason my content does well is I'm so passionate about the audience because I'm smart enough to realize that if I crush it for them, the, the, the crumbs are gonna be more than enough for me. Right. Okay, I, I don't know how to tell you guys this, but cancel Christmas, we've got another ad for you. I know, I know, you're like, Josh, enough, you're so generous. This podcast, now an ad? Yes, that's right, because I know my favorite part of podcasts are just a like a slight brief interruption to hear about some new exciting product that I've never heard about. Anyway, Dropbox. 
Imagine a workplace with no distractions or disruptions, no endless searching to find the latest version, no constantly switching between apps. Now, imagine a place where everything just flows. At Dropbox, we're building a home for all your team's work and the conversation around it. With a suite of tools, it maximizes inspiration and minimizes distraction. Because when teams are in flow, everything just clicks. Dropbox, baby, they're all about, you know, the human experience at work. They want to help teams navigate workplace tensions by providing them seamless, frictionless experiences to keep teams in flow. So visit dropbox.com forward slash flow. Dropbox. Keep teams flowing. Who are you? We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The people who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make the show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to listenerq, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com slash curious and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Yeah. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash curious. That's ListenerQ.com slash curious. But you seem to have this specific thing that I found in all great entrepreneurs, just as an observer, but this like ability in which to run with blinders on, like that you don't take into consideration any of that. There's not a lot of second guessing There's and not. to your point with the confidence. Uh, I think great entrepreneur, I think cert- there's a lot of di- great different entrepreneurs. The entrepreneur that I am that you see often, she or he is really good at thinking about winning a baseball game 28 to 21. For all the non-sports fans, that's a ludicrous, there may not be a single baseball game ever with that score in the history of baseball. Uh, That's who I am, to your point. I realized that I'm the kind of guy that will win net-net with, you know, kind of like a good racehorse, just, you know, those blinders, Right. right? Yeah, like, I'm not scared. Couple things fall into that. Self-confidence really matters in this arena. It's, you know, it's no different than, than uh, somebody that's really charming to the opposite sex. I, I see a very similarity to women or men that do well with getting other women and men to like them. There's a lack of fear. And I was more fearful in like hitting on girls than I was as an entrepreneur, so I can taste it. I can taste the delta. Right. I can see the difference. I was like, oh, if I was, the way I was with like trying to get the op- a girl to like me as I was in business, I would not be as good. Right. If I was the way I am in business, with I would get every girl on earth. Like it's just like I really genuinely believe that uh, because there's just a level of lack of fear. And for me, entrepreneurship and being a leader is my natural state. Right. I like the pressure. I like the responsibility, and I'm not worried about anybody's opinion whatsoever. And specifically to that, do you find in your experience, whatever you want to call it, I've found that, that great entrepreneurs have this inherent uh, or innate ability to shrug off quote unquote failures or things that didn't work out. Put them in perspective. Resp- yeah. I respect my failures. I respect different. I understand them. I synthesize, I think about them for a minute. 
most people who aren't born for this dwell on it for life. Of course, welcome. Uh, but I, I see it, I understand it, I learn, I try not to repeat it. When I repeat it, I'm like, okay, this is a tendency of mine. How do I hedge against it? How do I take myself out of the equation? That's what's happening to me in the 40s that didn't happen in the 30s and 20s. When I recognize that something's a tendency, I'm trying to build infrastructure of how to eliminate myself out of that equation. I realized that with DRock. I was not gonna fill myself like Casey even right. though I knew vlogging was real. So I invented something that at the time didn't exist, where DRock now gets to be a verb. You know, and so, uh, yes, I, uh, I, uh, I do not, I, un- you know, I know people are listening, I wish you could understand how much I don't fear losses in entrepreneurship. I don't fear them at all. That's huge though. It's huge. And, and honestly, that's transcended into me as a human. And I think like a lot of what's happening with me and even my own personal growth in social over the last year, which has been exponential in comparison to the last decade, I'm just hitting, a, I'm in a different place. I'm just like completely there now where it's, I know what my intent is, I know what my talents are, and the intent, notice how intent is first. To me, the big thing about everything is intent, hmm. context. Like, I'm never worried about somebody making a mistake or winning or losing, what's the, why? How, what, what were they trying to do? And I know that every time I put out a piece of content, I'm trying to bring value. Right. And if it misses the mark, well, and let's say it really misses the mark. Well, then I have to apologize. Thank God that hasn't really happened. Um, and that's very easy for me to do because I don't think my intent was negative. Right, you're good at self-correcting. You listen, there's an amazing thing that happens when you think you're the best of all time and don't mean anything at all. And I've hit that place. I really think in my craft that I'm really good. And, have, and what's great about being an entrepreneur versus an athlete is you have your whole life to play. Right. And I've always talked about patience, marathon running, fourth quarter. I think a lot of people who care to pay attention to what I'm up to deem me a success now. And I very much think I'm in the second quarter of my career, which is exciting. Do you think there's um, a, a specific thing when it comes to like sports and your approach to, because I, I mean, I can see it in your blood. I know your story, deep love of the Jets, mm-hmm. which you ready for this? I got a bomb for you. My wife's name is Paige O'Brien. Her Ken O'Brien? Is, my father-in-law is Ken O'Brien. Dude, this is insane. Dude, I'm here for you. Dude, this is a big deal. I know. We've now I know. Be- now we're going to be friends. I feel that. Like for real. Yes, I know. This is a big deal for me. Can you believe that? Your child <laughs> is about to be Ken O'Brien's granddaughter or, or son. In a big way. Yeah. This is big. I've played catch with him. This is very big. <laughs> I can see it in this your is, eyes. This is very big. Yes. I mean, this is very big. I mean, I, you seem uh, flustered. Yeah, and I never am flustered, as everybody knows. I, I'm just very excited because now I'm putting the, you know, you can, my brain works very fast. I'm already thinking about my dinner with Ken O'Brien. He's into wine, right? Sure, why, I'm not sure. He's like a really good, who, like, all-American dude. Who did I talk to recently that really knows him well? Like, was a good, ooh, there's an agent, I believe. Huh, does, does, this is to your family. Is it possible that Ken, this might be on the other side of the family or things of that nature, I feel like I met Ken O'Brien's brother-in-law hmm. who 
happens to be somewhat associated with John Elway in some shape or form. Yes, you met Jeff Spurback. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's who you met. Yes. Sports agent extraordinaire. Yes. Good dude. Yeah, great guy. How is he related to you? Like kind of like my the, my wife's uncle. Yeah. So he had some great. I I really 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 love Ken O'Brien in a way that would make you. I'm about to blow your face off. Please. Blow away. This is real talk now. I just came off a three-week vacation, which is when I really check out in late August and do the family thing. But my brain is an interesting thing, so I need to be stimulated. I watched on YouTube 1984, five, and six Ken O'Brien football games. God bless. Regular season I or playoffs? I desperately need to sit with your father-in-law. Please. And talk about the 86 Cleveland playoff game that broke... I'm sure his, I, I need to spend enormous amounts of time with Ken. He'd love it. I, so I was picking my wife up on the second date we ever had. Her older brother is a sweetheart. He's also 6'8 and for, former QB for Fresno State. So he and my father-in-law, Ken, are playing catch in the front yard. I'm an actor, Gary. Um, I am not formidable when it comes to contact sports or any sport for yes. that matter. Now they're playing catch, but not how normal people right, play these catch. These are athletes. These are lasers. Beans. I'm like, there's no sink into your bread basket with the football. These are like, you got to catch it up by her head and I know they're going to throw me the ball I'm going to bobble it and this is what's going to make them hate me forever hey, hey everybody I'm going to give you guys a tidbit here that I think will be a lot of fun for everybody that just for all of us including myself I, I always say that the people that win in life are in the yes business versus the no business Right. I said to myself the fourth quarter's coming up VaynerMedia is exploding a lot of good things are going on with me no podcasts in the fall. This is something I said to myself on August 1st, really? which is a month ago. Josh sends a DM, we exchange, he's like, I want you to be on my podcast. I say yes immediately. Now he's awesome and obviously you're listening because we all know about his background and I, you know, because given my age, much more passionate about his ability to sniff out Vine and use it. Sure. I, I respected that quite a bit and obviously I'm super aware of the show you did and the cultural phenomenon it was. I said yes. As cool as you are and as awesome, I didn't look at how, you know, how big the podcast, it didn't matter. Intuitively, I said yes. I didn't understand why I said yes. I even psychoanalyzed why did I say yes to this. Really? Yeah, <laughs> because I promised myself literally 38 days ago, don't say yes to any podcast or anything besides focus on the business in the fourth quarter. Your DM comes in, I say yes. Right. I thought, especially the first five minutes of us actually meeting, I'm like, oh, I said yes, because this is gonna be a lifelong friend, because he's a menchie, awesome dude. What I now have come to realize <laughs> oh my God. was this the was ante. my gateway drug to getting into Ken O'Brien, one of my favorite players of all time. I mean, I wore a number seven t-shirt at one point. Dude, Ken O'Brien and Al Toon and Wesley Walker and Free McNeil, those are my jets. Al was at my wedding. <laughs> Altoon is my favorite jet of all time. Let me tell you what. If you watch my videos right now in the background in my office, mm. there's an Altoon starting lineup hanging. He's a gorgeous man. He's the best. He's a sweetheart. The and, best. And by the way, my mom and all her friends were like swooning over him at the wedding. They He's were the like, best. that Altoon is just a handsome fella. He's super <laughs> handsome. You know what else he did? In the mid 80s, Altoon did ballet in the off season. I could see that. And like, that was not macho. Right. He was such a player. Who, other Jets were there? Or just Al? Al and, um, oh my God, I can't believe Give me I'm anything. blanking. Give me any data point, I will figure it out. Oh my God, you're going White gonna, guy, black guy, offense, White guy, defense. Offend, offensive lineman. I, I was just at his- Sweeney? I, no, I was just at his daughter's wedding um, in Long Cadigan? Island. 
No, what? Oh my Offensive god! Offensive lineman? It's gonna come, Bill uh, Pakel. Pakel? Yes, sir. Bill Pakel. <laughs> I would love it, dude. Come Amazing. on. Amazing. This uh, it's the least I can do for you. This is great. All, all right, let's get back on track. Everyone's like, why are we talking oh, '80s Jets? This weird Jets tangent. Um, okay, so you get into. Your... I watched the entire '91 Houston Oilers playoff game, and Ken played phenomenal. Ken, you played phenomenal. The rifle, right? Wasn't that his? He was a really good player. If Ken O'Brien had a better offensive line. Now talking about him like, like like if you were like somebody else, he is a grossly underestimated all-time quarterback. He's the, I'm hoping Sam Darnold is now gonna be it, but he's the best Jets quarterback that we had besides Joe Namath. Yeah. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely believe it. And, and he didn't have a good offensive line. He was sacked all the time. Yeah. I mean. He got beat up good. And can I just say, and not for yeah. any other reason, but yeah. literal salt of the earth like the best makes it so much better my my in-laws are i i hit the lottery and this is like a hot-blooded jew from new york with a single mom and i walked into this irish catholic family and i I said if you'll have me i'm in and they took me so nice so when do you get into the wine business with your family when do you like take a big part in it a big part when i was 18, 19, I started becoming a force. I was still going to school, coming back home every weekend, every summer vacation, holidays, extended my Thanksgiving, Christmas, like like missed tons of class. Uh, but at 22, I really, really got in there in, uh, in, the, in the summer of 98 and like really drove that business, grew it exponentially from a, you know, a three, four million dollar business to a 40 to 60 million dollar business over that period, like just exploded it. Pulled off everything I wanted, which was built the signature wine store of that generation. Um, it was a great, great, great run. And it's still a family business. My dad and best friend uh, and, and cousin Bobby uh, and best friend Brandon and my dad, Sasha, they run it. Uh, really, my dad and Brandon. And, and it's, it's amazing. Did you, uh, for you, when, when it came to like the more structured, like, high school and college and whatnot, did, and you, as you said, you weren't a natural student. Did any of that sort of break your heart, like the more traditional systems that you were challenged in those areas and so good in others? No, it fed me because I did something smart. I realized pretty early on it had no impact on my life, and so I somehow converted the negative feedback of teachers, pa- friends, parents who thought I was a loser because I got bad grades. Sure. And just the general vibe of being a DNF student in that environment, I turned it into fuel. Did you think that the teachers were just myopic? Like, oh, you guys just don't get a guy like me. Was there that? Was that awareness there early? You on? know what's funny? I had empathy. I'm a good guy, so I was like, it kind of, bro. Honestly, it's really funny. Like, I didn't even give a crap. Like, I didn't even like think about it. Hmm. I was just like, this doesn't matter. I will prove everybody who doesn't think I'm gonna win wrong. I'm gonna enjoy the social aspects of this. Um, I'm good, I'm happy. Right. So I was unbelievably happy through high school. Getting D's and F's, being friends with everybody, like could go from nerd to popular in four seconds. Loved that positioning in the game, you know? Right, do you think that you, because like early on for me going through high school and obviously like working on a TV show and having this deep love and passion and drive and yet I was not getting good grades and yeah. to my teachers I was a loser. Yeah. And so there was that part of me that like it did hurt but I, I felt as though like no like I'm just different than these other kids. Yeah. And I, I, you don't know how to teach someone like me. I, didn't, I don't work I in didn't this system. I didn't take that last part. I, later I'm like oh I didn't belong in a system. 
I was just kind of like, you could call it oblivious, you could call it disrespectful, you could call it optimistic, right. you could call it whatever you want, it was literally a non-factor. Yeah. It was, you know, it's fun to like kind of break it down and I used a lot of different words that kind of sit on opposite spectrums. I was just like, <laughs> I literally, and to this day I guess I realize, maybe even right now, like thinking about it, I'm living in my own world. I mean, it's the only way to be. It's a great way to be. I'm fine. Especially if that world is good. I think some people live in their own world and it's and their own world and it's negative and I feel sadness about that. But if you live in your own positive bubble, as long as you're not oblivious, at, you know, I think I deploy a lot of sense of what's going on around me, but in its core, it's real quiet in my head. Do you find that you're rewarded for being more yourself? Cuz I'm finding that. Right? And it becomes exponential and it compounds. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like for me, most of my 20s were spent trying to be someone else or, or... I get it, brother. And I think, you know, it's interesting and I don't know you well enough, but like, boy, I'd be super wrong. There is something else that is going on, which is I don't think people realize that nice guys finish first. It's true. More so than ever, by the way. I think that's right because I think transparency will lend itself to that. I think you and I are probably byproducts a little bit of that. Yeah. So, like it's just not cool to be sweet in like what we grew up with. Oh, for sure. And I've always never wavered. I was not willing to do things that would have made me more popular or allowed me to hook up with prettier girls because the cost of entry was doing things that weren't on my moral compass. I was not going to talk down to somebody because that would have given me a social ladder climb. I just didn't view the world that way and I never will. So what do you think is like the most insidious trait or thing that, that is most common in people who are being held back or not living up to their full potential? Or They were parented in a way that they valued other people's opinions more than their own. But what about when they're grown-ups and you can't blame your parents anymore? It's you, entrenched. You can correct, right? You can, and you should. But, it's, but first you have to acknowledge it. Right, and how do you correct it with therapy? 12 steps. Sure, I mean like putting shit out there I think really matters. I, you know, I think direct to the end consumer works even better, meaning you can go to a therapist and work through and I, I, I highly recommend that. I, I see that work for a lot of people but some people doesn't work. Some people, you know, it's kind of like learning how to swim. Some people will go through the process. That's, other people just need to jump into the deep end. You know, I think one of the great therapy sessions of all time is to go direct to the camera live on social media and spill out your dirty laundry and then you're good. I like that. Yeah, it's a Hail Mary, it's a bomb shot. I think it, it works, I really do, for certain types of people. Uh, I think it's self-awareness. I think, look, here's my thing. If you're not happy, you have to do something about it because there is no alternative. Right. You, you're more than welcome to complain and blame everybody else, society, your parents. The problem is the only people that are listening to you are other people that aren't winning. And they're co-signing your bullshit. 100,000%. I interviewed Laird Hamilton and I asked him what he thought and he's like, it's an inability for people at, once they hit a certain age to be students again. And so they don't want to ever fail and so they can't put themselves in the position to learn and try something new and become and cultivate but it's interesting. that it's, learning it's interesting. spirit. The, you know, the learning experience is so not real in school. It's not learning, it's playing a system. It just isn't, especially today. Anything that is being memorized is a waste of time. 
Right. There, there's so many interesting things when, it, when, we can, when we can do a whole other show on this. Here's my big thing. I desperately want people to be happy because it doesn't come at my expense. <laughs> you know, like it only adds to me. It adds to us if the world is collectively happier. So a lot of that garbage is, it's all predicated on insecurity. Like why is a bully a bully when she or he's in third grade? It's because at home things are bad. Are you ever down? I'm, I'm short-term concerned. I wouldn't call it down. Like there's things, listen, I run big companies. I have a thousand employees. I have millions of followers. You're gonna have a lot of collateral damage with that kind of life. But not really because I'm very basic. I think about things of like, who would I switch with? I made my own bed so I don't get to complain. I'm so grateful for health over anything. I'm not really sustained down. I could be down a million times in a week. They just all last a hundredth of a second to maybe two minutes. That's it. That's it. Not even an hour? Never. You won't give yourself that long. Let me rephrase. Very rare. Like shit's really going on. Right. We're talking about real stuff. Like health scares. And do you immediately? Not like money losses. And do you immediately take action to get out of it? You of just course. move on to the I next. I just don't think anybody else is responsible. Except my level of accountability is, I think my level of accountability is a direct correlation to my happiness. I feel 100% accountable, thus I'm awfully happy all the time. Because I think most people struggle because they think somebody else is in charge. I think accountability is an unbelievably important conversation to be had which is why I have so much scrutiny and judgment on a lot of the current systems in place because it's eliminating accountability. You know, giving trophies to somebody that comes in sixth place is not merit. Right. And when I'm at my most vulnerable, when I try to run an organization, I feel like the shortcomings I've had with VaynerMedia was when I overcoddled and created entitlement and less accountability. Yeah. So I don't want to keep you all day, so I'll, I'll finish with this. What are your, this is a question I ask everyone at the end, what are, are your one or three or five Gary commandments? Like if you had to instill them on you know, the next generation. Um, empathy and self-awareness at the top of my pyramid. They are just like one words. they're just words. Like they just matter over everything. Kindness, gratitude, compassion, sympathy. I'm unbelievably passionate about soft skills. This goes back to the theme of 10 minutes ago, like nice guys and gals finish first. Don't let anybody confuse you. You could be down 10 nothing in the first quarter. Because I do think fear and negativity and get ahead at all costs has short-term ROI, but never in the long term. So kindness over everything. On the other side of the gamut, I do think that if you want something to happen, hard work has to be part of the equation. I think people that overcompensate for work-life balance, there's a big push, and I sometimes get caught into it, like, Gary, you push hustle too much, this and that. I'm like, look, your, your actions have to match your ambitions. And so I just don't know anybody who's succeeded without putting in a lot of hard work. So lunch pail hard work I believe in. Um, one that's very big for me is you have to be capable of being the bigger person. Something that has absolutely made me happy and has brought me success and others that I watch carefully is the ability, even when they're right, to an outside judge and jury to be the first to apologize or to be the bigger person to swallow. The ability to deploy humility at all costs is super important. And I think, I think that so much of what is happening for me is predicated on my balance of humility 
and ego and confidence and things of that nature. Um, life is a marathon. It's a commandment. You know, it's, it's, I don't understand why people think at 18 or 22 or 30 they have to have their lives figured out when they're gonna live to 100. Right. I'm very passionate about 18, 22, and 30. They're three ages that confuse the hell out of people. They're these watershed moments where people get crazy. And they make yeah. terrible decisions. Well, I think athletics, too, is sort of because we so, I mean, they're the aristocracy to a certain extent of yeah. our, our yeah. you know, community. And, and so because you peak in your early 20s and in, in theory you're set but I think, for life. I think the college system created a lot of that, too. Like, you go to college at 18, you pop out at 22. Like, those are two watershed moments. I just think it's unhealthy. I, I, uh, one of my commandments is more high risk, high reward, experiential, under 30. I, the amount of people that do nothing right until they're 30 and then get their act together and live the great lives of all time is very high. Right. So I think we need to look at that a little bit more. Because we're all in a rush. We're in a rush. I, you know, I, I do some speaking engagements at colleges and so young like acting or film yes. students will yes. ask me what's, you know, what's next and I said, I know that the second you get out of here all you want to do is go to LA and get your first audition and that sounds fabulous but like you working on a great play and great words and putting yourself through it and trying parts that you would never get the chance to do if you're auditioning for an under five on NCIS Edison or whatever the next big thing is. I was like, that will not push you as an actor. So use this time to be in the gym. It's super it's thoughtful. It's not a rush. It's super thoughtful. I mean, I, uh, I, I just, patience is such a gift and people, um, run away from it. And I'll, I'll say something else that I've realized because I, I said it in a way that I thought about the other day. Being underestimated is such a gift mm. and people try to unwind it as quickly as possible. When you're underestimated, most people's entire ethos is to be verbally accepted or not underestimated. The amount of people that would prefer to be you know, overestimated or, or hyped up versus cherishing the fact that being underestimated is a gift is fascinating to me. I would tell you that I think I'm at this point in my life manifesting scenarios to create more vibes of being underestimated. Uh, and I just wish more people understood that and I think they would be far more settled. So many people at 18, 22, 30 are living their lives to be uh, respected or credited by their parents, contemporaries, or the outside forces, the Joneses of the world, and it is the real miss of the human being. But would you say that like the hundred things that you do that lead up to the big announcement of the new company or the new merger, the new big exciting thing, I would assume for you, the hundred things that it took to get there are as exciting for you as the announcement. Completely wrong. Love it's disproportionately more exciting. Right. The announcement is the downside. And talk more about that. When I land on a vacation, literally the plane hits the, plane hits the ground, I start getting depressed. Me too. It's the beginning of the end. Yeah. The anticipation's the game. Yeah, that was the exciting part. That's the great part. Now you're in Hawaii, what the hell do you do with all that I'm time I'm about to announce hands. a really cool new company in a month. It's gonna suck the second it's announced. Because then it's in the ether. Correct. Yeah, it's not in the prep. I like it when it's in the lab. And then what about the execution of it? Because once you make the announcement, you have to the, do the, it. The good right? news is for me, to your point, and that's being fair, it doesn't suck. 
I don't like that first week where, especially now, because I've done some things in my life, it, it's going the other way now. Now it sucks. I used to have to not announce anything. I didn't do anything, like I just did. Now I announce things. Now, and this is very flattering, you know, people are like, oh, he's gonna take over the world. I'm like, oh, only one of three of these are gonna take over the world, Every, you know, and sure. so, you know, yeah, man, I, I'm an underdog. I was born an underdog. I root for underdogs. I am an underdog. I believe in underdogs. I cherish the underdog thing. And I will continue to do new things that don't seem like the thing I should be doing because I need to get my fix of being an underdog again. And it's why I left wine because I did what I had to do there. And I stab- I don't even need to become the biggest or the best. I just need to establish that I'm on either am or on the way of becoming. Mm. And the second that's accepted, it's my big fear with VaynerMedia. I think in the next three to five years, it's going to be very obvious that VaynerMedia is the single best marketing firm in the world, advertising, marketing, media firm, and that is gonna take a lot out of it. Right now, the establishment of Madison Avenue and the old suits, still underestimating, is an enormous driver for me. And what do you what do you say to those kids now who want to be Instagram famous? A, you're so blessed that you even have a chance of that. B, if you think of it more as fifty thousand fans and fifty thousand dollars, then you're real practical and you got a real shot. If you think it's going to be a hundred million followers and a trillion dollars, you're not barking up the right tree. I'm unbelievably passionate about the long tail of influencer marketing and being Instagram and YouTube famous. I think it's practical. Really? I do. I just think that the expectations need to be 50 to 100 thousand dollars a year. And if they did that, it's a hell of a lot more fun to be the foremost expert on Star Trek on Instagram and make 80,000 a year than be a plumber or teacher if you're passionate about, or a businessman or entrepreneur if you're passionate about Star Trek. Uh, I'm bullish on that idea and everyone's shitting on it. My tweak is people need to be dramatically more practical with their ambitions of being Instagram and YouTube famous, if they can, and they do, I think the upside is even greater than anybody realizes. What if they just have abs? That's what kills me. When they're like, oh, I got, I got an eight pack. And hey, I'm listen, like, a lot of people listen, got an eight pack. Listen, and, but as you know this, just like you, because a lot of people that were Hollywood famous could have been you sure. in that moment in Vine, but you actually did it, guess what? The first 20,000 people that just had ass and abs on Instagram won. Yeah. They, they won. Right, yeah, Jen Selter. That's right. Killing she it. She won. <laughs> right. And, and she puts in the work. If you, look, you know, if you look at Jen, she puts out, like she's putting in the work. Like I, I've seen Jen in the wild in business meetings and in culture more than I've consumed her content and I know she's putting in the work. I can just see it in the way she works an event. Hmm. So you know, how much are you willing to put in the work? You know, some people can put in work in the gym but can't put it in social. Some can put in social and can't put it in the gym. We're all different. Self-awareness and proper expectations. If I could talk to every 14-year-old in the world, I would say, if you're in it for $72,000 a year, you should go all in. Yes. Because I think it's actually practical. I do too. Um, because you're knowledgeable. I mean, because I've you seen know it. What pre- yeah, because it's happening at a scale that the establishment doesn't want to understand. And there's still a lot more for to take in. Because I have a friend who has 200,000 followers who yep. got a $20,000 brand deal the other day. That's right. 
And that's like and that's excellent. Before, and that's before he or she does YouTube pre-roll ads, Facebook ads that are here now. Uh, uh, nobody's even talking, like retail is finally being talked about. Sell a couple t-shirts, do a little affiliate marketing, do a little bit of appearance fees. Like it gets to 75 real quick if you're willing to work your face off and put in the time and effort and deploy it around something you know. Listen, let me say one thing about apps. It takes work to do it. Oh yeah. So guess what? Talk about how you did it and don't sell me some bullshit supplements that you didn't use. Right. And don't sell me some $19 ebook with some generic shit. In Fit tea, mm-hmm. fucking That's right. detox fucking, lollipops. The, what do they wear when they like, squeeze the shit out of you? By the way, I do use that and they do work, work. But eh, No, not really. Okay. It works for like an hour? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, like squeeze the fuck out of you. Like, you know, squeezing something. But, anyway, nonetheless. But you've had an incredible ability to pivot, which I think is such an admirable quality. Is that like any of these businesses, to your point, you could have squeezed it to the nth degree. And it you goes said, back. Look, I think I showed my cards, which I really do so good job in so creating such a safe room I love to be underestimated yeah I've pivoted out of necessity of happiness I don't do well when I'm the one being chased hmm. yeah I don't want to be the number one I want to I love the challenge of coming from nowhere right doing a sneaker starting a Madison Avenue agency who knows I mean I cannot wait to the cockamanian thing I come up with next owner of the Jets Eventually. God and willing. Then, and then I'll bring I'll Ken abide. O'Brien for a Ken O'Brien night. And Can it'll he be, be amazing. Co- he should be coach. It, does he like to coach? He coached at SC. Oh, that's right. That's right. Just saying. Putting it here. Now. I mean, the problem with Ken, I, how old is Ken at this point? I, I still 55? need. Eh, he'll just be, you know, 75 is, I still need 20, 20. He'll be 80. You can do it, Gary. I can do it if I follow my process. And now that so many people know my ambition, you should see the level. This is a great way to end it. If you want to sum up how I see the world, this is a great story, I've never said this. The thing that sums up the way I see the world more than anything is when people roll up on me and say, Gary V, when are you buying the Jets? And when I say in 25 years, the level of disappointment in their face is extraordinary. Right. 900 out of 901 people, when I say that, look at me dead in my face and are disappointed. Like sheer disappointment, what? Let's take a step back. I tell people that I will achieve my lifelong dream, which, oh, by the way, means that I've amassed the wealth of $4 billion to buy them. Right, except to buy from the Johnson & Johnson family. And right? just what the worth is gonna be, da, da, da. When I tell people that I will do it, but it's gonna take 25 years, they meet me with disappointment. That sums up the world. Yeah. It is completely completely, utterly, only looking at the short-term ROIs, and I don't, and that is my strength. And if you can figure out how to live life long and make yourself happy in your journey, you ready for this? We already told the secret here. Here's the punchline, you can play this back when I buy them. One of the days that I most don't look forward to in my life is the day I buy the New York Jets. Right. That is going to be a very, intriguing mix of emotions. A, will I pull it off, hopefully while my parents are still alive, and the other 20 people I really care about being there. So inevitably, like if one of my parents or something terrible, like something terrible, like somebody who shouldn't be, who should be there isn't, I think that will strike me first emotionally. But I will tell you right now, that will be a tough, and it'll be the craziest day of my life because I'll be so happy and yet, 
there'll be some really underlining weird shit going on. You're going to lower season ticket prices? Probably. Yeah. Good man. Probably. I'm going to be very passionate about Jet fans being in the building for Jet home games because we've never been a good home team. Yeah. So first I got to build a true fan base. I'm going to shit on the Giants like nobody's business. Get them good. And I'm, uh, yeah. I'm Can gonna, you name a menu item after me? Maybe? I'm going to, yeah, listen. Josh Peck chicken tenders? Peck, with this O'Brien stuff, like, we're really off the, I mean. I feel an energy between no, us. No, no, we've become, I mean. It's tangible. This is very real. Family. <laughs> Thank you. Thank my you. My man. That was it. Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. Thank you, Gary, for doing it. You're my guy. And uh, I will get you a dinner with my father-in-law ASAP. Can I come? Is it, do, you, do you just want it to be you too? It's fine. Whatever you want. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, in case anyone was wondering, while, while I was sitting there, I had no idea what the acronym ROI stood for, which Gary used a few times. Looked it up since then. If uh, you listeners are like me and not the smartest tools in the shed. Um, uh, sharpest tool? Sharpest knife in the... Smartest? Well, the... Just prove my own point. Um, it's a, a re- return on investment. Return on investment. So just thought I'd drop some knowledge there. Boom. Intellectual mic drop. Enjoy that. Anyway, love y'all. See y'all next week. Um, and that's it. Oh, wait. Will I see you guys on Christmas Day? That is so cute. I'm Jewish, so it means nothing to me. But I know you Christians love it. All right. Love y'all. Bye. Bye.